Hey, this is Nick from Pinyao. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to another program of Asia Pacific Currents. We've got a full board here. I've got two smiling faces not, looking at me. Not just another program, Pierre, the last one for 2014. And, of That's course, right. unless we uh, – I'm pretty sure we haven't announced it yet, and Diana may very well kill me for announcing it. It is actually Diana's last show. Uh, yes, listeners, Diana no, is... I would actually like to propose a different motion that this is not Diana's last show. They, so, they uh... barricaded the door and I'm never leaving. <laughs> well, and hopefully I'm misinforming our listeners. I mean, that is truly my hope. However, I did check my sources this morning and uh, they, they continue to confirm uh, what we have been dreading for a very long time. Yeah, that's right. I, after, oh, I suppose, is it six years, five years or, or six years on Asia-Pacific Currents, the other commitments take me elsewhere next year. So that's right, listeners, it's my last program this morning and I suppose we'll we'll mark that and the end of the year by doing a bit of a roundup of uh, major events in the labour movement in the Asia-Pacific region, not only the micro-events happening in Diana Beaumont's life. <laughs> that's, that's right, listeners. But, you know, it's still got... Uh, our break is six weeks, so lots of things going to happen in six weeks, Diana. Don't you worry. <laughs> anyway, it's uh, you're listening to 3CR Radio. This is Australia. This is Australia Asia Worker Links uh, show um, brought to you every week. And the contact numbers, Giselle. That, that's right. If you want to get in touch with Australia Asia Worker Links, you can ring us on nine double six three seven two double. Uh, uh, you can find us on the web or the w's.aawl.org.au We're on Facebook and Twitter as well And you can follow news and current affairs across the Asia-Pacific region on our social media sites And on today's program, it's going to be slightly different Usually we do the news roundup uh, first and then our interview But because it is the last program for the year We'll put the interview first and then we'll do a bit of the roundup of the whole year Not just the week, the whole year And there's a long list of of uh, things, but so we'll go first to the interview, which um, it's a, with a, um, a person that we've uh, talked to before, Joe Daher from the Syrian Revolutionary uh, uh, Current, and um, I caught up with him earlier this week and um, asked him um, for a bit of a summation of what's happening in uh, Syria and where the uprising is at. The uprising that has been going on for more than three years in Syria. It's still ongoing, although it is facing uh, increasing threats from the counter-revolutions, especially from the regime and the Islamic reactionary forces. So we are in a very, very difficult situation, but this is not limited to Syria. It's in our regional perspective. We have to look at it, whether it's in Egypt or in Tunis. We're seeing that um, the only two alternatives apparently 
on the political scene is or the old regimes or uh, Islamic reactionary forces. And in Syria, it's, of course, the crisis is much deeper because of the militarization of the revolution that has been ongoing for more than two years. So it's it's a very difficult political times, increasing threats. Nevertheless, we still have a popular movement in Syria. We still have people demanding to go back to the spirit of the revolution. But we cannot hide that the situation is very difficult. And we can see also on the international scene that Western powers and pro-Western powers in the region on one side and on the other side, Russia, Iran, and China wants stability, and both are working towards ending the different popular movements. You'd mentioned a lot about the very tough situation and some of the reactionary forces that the popular uprising is facing. Let's look at one side, and can you give us the significance and impact of the rise and expansion of the Islamic State, both in Syria and Iraq, has had on, on the uprising? Islamic State has been established in Iraq following the American-U.S. invasion of Iraq in 2004. It was first part of uh, Al-Qaeda, and then it separated from Al-Qaeda. And it's composed mostly of uh, leadership of ex baathist jihadists. This explains a lot on their military successes. The influence of Islamic State was quite low until 2010, and with the beginning of the Syrian revolution in 2011 and the beginning of a popular movement in Iraq in 2011, mid-2011, that was severely repressed by the Maliki government, on both sides, uh, the, the, the harsh repression and the militarization of the revolution, the strength of the Islamic State, in the beginning it was funded especially by different monarchies or private networks from Gulf monarchies, and it became increasingly dependent when it controlled oil, and they used to sell it, and uh, they were in all kinds of traffics. So this is a short resume of the way they, they expanded. But today, definitely, Islamic State is unfortunately still an important military force in Syria and Iraq. And we can see that the different ways to combat it, whether the so-called international intervention bombing to help the Syrian revolution is not working at all. The Assad regime only started to, to target the Islamic State and with the beginning of international intervention. Otherwise, before this, there was kind of a complicit share of the regime to let this kind of forces like uh, Daesh, Islamic State, or Jabhat al-Nusra and other Islamic reactionary forces to expand while the Assad military regime or its security services concentrated on Democrats and progressists. This has been experience we had in Syria for the past three years. So the way to fight it is not the way the international coalition have done it, because the tool they use, it was the elements that allowed it to create, to be established and to expand. There are a lot of players now in the, in the region are all pushing for their own sides and sometimes in a contradictory manner. And really, all the contradictions have really come up in the Kobani region in northern Syria, where you have an armed group of the Syrian Kurds, and we've seen quite a number of forces that have lined themselves um, against them, especially the role of Turkey. Kobani has been on, on the threat of the Islamic State since end of August, beginning of September. The military advances of the Islamic State led to more than 100 
50,000 of refugees, and the Islamic State is to, today, until today, occupying half of the city. Actually, when the, the international coalition started its intervention, the Islamic State was, was at 60 kilometers of Kobani. And despite the bombings, the Islamic State is still a threat. And as you said, the, the different contradictory imperialism increasingly showing that we cannot trust one imperialism or one sub-imperialism to our own interest. We have to fight all of them because they are against uh, any kind of popular uprisings. Coming back to the Syrian Kurds, I think we should first of all remind ourselves the Syrian Kurds have been a, a nation discriminated in the four countries where they are present, Turkey, Syria, Iraq and Iran. And in Syria, it's been increasingly the case, especially since 70, when the Assad, Hafez Assad came to power. You had a, a policy of Arabization of the northeast of Syria, policy of discrimination, policy of even cultural repression against the Kurds. Even in 2004, when you had Kurdish Intifada in Syria, the regime repressed it very much, and you, you had only a couple of groups in Syria supporting the Kurdish Intifada. Where even the Arab nationalist Stalinist left said it was the hand of imperialism to weaken Syria at this time. To, to come back to, to the role of the, the Kurds since the beginning of the revolution, they played an, a very important role since the beginning of the revolution. On the side of the Syrian youth, we've seen demonstrations in, in, in cities where Kurdish or a majority has an important presence, whether in Aleppo, in uh, Qamishli, Hasake, Kobani, etc., uh, and therefore, they were a complete part of the revolution. After the, the problems we've had is that a section of the opposition, especially the opposition link, linked to the West and the Gulf monarchies, have the same position as the regime. They would refuse any kind of self-determination of the Kurdish people, which is definitely a problem. And therefore, there was a lack of confidence between some political groups, uh, Kurdish political groups and the Syrian opposition. And when actually the Syrian regime withdrew from uh, different cities in uh, July 2012, making them completely liberated and collaborating this withdrawal with the PKK Syrian forces, we've seen an increasing form of self-governing institutions in uh, what's called Rojava and two others. Definitely, it's a, it's a progressive experience that is linked to the Syrian revolution, because without the Syrian revolution, we would not, not have seen this kind of self-governing institutions. The question that needs to be answered is, what is the size and impact of democratic, progressive, revolutionary forces within Syria now, like, for instance, uh, the recently formed People's Liberation Faction? The People's Liberation Faction is actually the arm wing of the revolutionary left movement in Syria. First, on the military perspective, I think, um, let's say, four main military units in Syria. You have the, the Free Syrian Army, which is still not a single institution, but you have the democratic components of the Free Syrian Army that still uphold the, the program of the revolution. And in this past month, we've seen kind of the strengthening, I would say, of, of some sort, although it is, not, it is still not supported uh, by any kind of forces outside of the country. But nevertheless, people see the Free Syrian Army as upholding the program of the revolution, and you, had kind of, you have different unification of different factions of the Free Syrian Army with a clear democratic programs, and they are the one facing whether the regime or Islamic reactionary forces. And you have seen some 
collaborations with Syrian Kurds military forces, which is a very good evolution. Against this, you have uh, the Islamic Reactionary Forces and the regime. On the, say, the civilian or the popular democratic forces and progressive forces in Syria, it is still present, despite the fact that it's been attacked uh, by both counter-revolutionary forces. But we've seen in, uh, increasingly these past four months also uh, messages saying that we want to go back to the spirit of revolution, we want to go back to our democratic programs. This is why in Aleppo and um, other regions of Syria, of free Syria, not under the control of the regime and not on, totally under the control of the Islamic reactionary forces, you had campaigns, democratic components, saying, for example, we want democracy, we want a civilian state against the issue that we don't want a dictatorship or Islamic state. Uh, you had campaigns of leaflets being done in secret, as well on territories under the, the regime authority. And actually, you have increasing frustration among what we call loyalist uh, regions of the regime. Uh, for example, in Tartus, you had, uh, which is a city, a stronghold of the regime until today, you had the demonstration uh, end of August, the first uh, in the city since the beginning of the revolution. Or you had people complaining about the building of a, a luxurious mall in the city. And these are people that are loyalists to the regime, saying that the regime can't pay for compensations to the families of uh, the soldiers of the regime when they are dead, but they can fund a luxurious mall. So you have increased unsatisfaction the regime, and you still have democratic forces fighting on bo against both sides. So as a final question, how do you see the situation for the progressive and popular forces within Syria? I think we still have to face the very, very difficult times. I think there's a need to unite the various democratic and progressive forces in, that oppose both uh, the regime and the Islamic reactionary forces and oppose all the different kinds of imperialism and sub-imperialism because they all oppose the demands of the Syrian revolution. But we will still face very, very, very difficult times, especially when we talk about the humanitarian situation in Syria, which is catastrophic, what you, when you have more than half of the population that is displaced, nearly 80% of poverty, same scores for statistics for unemployment, uh, increasing inequalities, social conditions are catastrophic inside of Syria, and democratic uh, activists are still being attacked. This does not mean at the same time that we should not support uh, democratic and progressive components of the, the same revolution. On the opposite, it is time to, to increase this assistance, all kind possible, to the different progressive and democratic forces of the revolution, like the revolution of current in Syria. We have increasing numbers inside of Syria, but we're lacking any kind of political support. Well, thank you very much, uh, Joe, for this very honest uh, explanation of where we're up to and the problems that the left is facing in Syria and the people and we certainly wish you all the best thank you community radio I am
It's just on quarter past nine o'clock here on Asia Pacific Currents and your favourite community radio station, 3CR Radio, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links. And you'll be listening to an interview with uh, Joe Da from the Revolutionary Left Organisation in Syria. And uh, folks, as we announced um, just before, this is the last program for 2014. We'll be back with a new one. When is it? In the first Saturday of February, I think. Third, I think. All right. Yeah, and we'll we'll wrap off this year mm. with consideration of the major events in the the labor movement and the progressive social justice movements in in the region. And that that interview you did, Pierre, about Syria is, I suppose, a, as appropriate a note as any to, to kick off on, because obviously one of the the events of of this year has been the the escalation of imperialist intervention in the. In West Asia or, or the Middle East, you know, with the the rise of um, Islamic fundamentalists like ISIS in that region, it's being used as an excuse by America, Australia, and their their allies to to escalate their inta- attack on Iraq, but also to start bombing Syria. So that just complicates the situation for revolutionary activists there even more. It does. It's a very uh, terrible situation, although I can give a couple of um, interesting uh, little little news. And I think we are in such a, I think, as Joe said, catastrophic situation. Um, You've got to look at uh, the little uh, bits of good news. One is I just saw that um, just this uh, week there were major demonstration by uh, workers and trade unions in Iraq um, wanting um, wages and secure employment. So, you know, it shows that the the workers are still organising in Iraq. And also um, the situation of Koban in, um, in Rojava in uh, northern Syria, I think that's... Um, um, quite interesting because of also of the facts that it's having on the left in um, in Turkey, which is obviously a big player in that um, in that region. Did you want to say more about the effects on um, the workers in Turkey? Well, well, I can. Say, well, we've only got um, twelve minutes to, to go. We've got a lot to cover, but um, certainly with um, this here in in Turkey, the the major event was the Soma mine disaster, where three hundred and one um, workers died when the coal mine um, exploded, and I think the the thing that then became. Um, um, the the picture of the image of it was actually the reaction of the government. That as people would uh, uh, remember, there was the the Turkish minister that kicked uh, a um, a worker on the ground, and also the prime minister uh, Erdogan who actually slapped one of the demonstrators when um, and told them to be um, to be polite. Yeah, well, the the Turkish government's support for sort of reactionary religious extremism is only one one thing that the progressive people oppose in in that country. This year, we've seen a continuation of consistent repression of trade union activities, haven't we? That's right. That's right. And uh, yeah, but we did. We were lucky to have uh, a um, comrade from DISC, the Progressive uh, Trade Union, here just a, a few weeks ago, just briefly. So that was great to have chats with him and to know that uh, yes, there is organising there. But um, so we certainly covered what situation in Turkey. I, uh, oh, just one more thing on Turkey. So um, one of the things that we learned from DISC in relation to that was that. 
at the grassroots level, Turkish workers are actually supporting those in Kobani and, in fact, are sending people there to um, to defend that front. So it's the kind of thing that you're rarely going to read about in um, not even just the mainstream but even some other um, forms of alternative press. Very few will know the story of Turkish workers actually going into the border regions to defend that front against the encroachment of ISIS. Um, I wanted to move now to talk about one of the biggest events in the region um, this year, which was, again, Israel's intensified attack on Palestine, Gaza in particular, Um, all of this under the guise of retribution for the kidnapping of two teenage Israeli Israelis and and arguably they were murdered by Palestinians and from that we uh, we had the um, massive massive attacks on Gaza. That's right, and we've just had uh, just I think this week the the killing of the Palestinian um, Palestinian minister for the occupied territories um, when he was protesting against uh, more settlement invasion of the of the West Bank. So it really really continues. You're listening to Asia Pacific Current's wrap-up of major events of the year. And a major theme that we've reported on several times this year has been workers' struggle against privatisation, um, especially in countries like India, um, Pakistan and uh, South Korea. We've seen right-wing governments there try to privatise public services like railways, health services, communications, postal services, and seen unions mobilise in very large numbers to oppose that. And privatisation is part of a broader neoliberal package. And another aspect of that that we saw at the G20 here in Australia this year was uh, the free trade agenda. And we see that um, capitalist world leaders around the world are really pushing for things like the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement to be signed. And um, here in Australia, our government just signed the free trade agreement with China, in which our government agreed to this thing called um, the, what is it, the investor state, um, oh my, I guess. It basically means that governments can be sued by companies if these companies' profits have been diminished by state legislation. Um, you also see the potential for the, um, I suppose, uh, bringing in of Chinese workers on special visa conditions under that free trade agreement. And we don't know exactly what else is going to be in it, but we know that the general principle of this is to make um, the business environment even more profitable in Australia and other countries in the region and really you know, shrink the role of government and government's ability to regulate capital and um, protect workers' interests. So on that privatisation issue, listeners will recall that roughly this time last year, so the last week of December in 2013, and for most of of January, the Korean trade union movement was under severe attack by the government in a private... Well, the trade unions were defending um, government services and the government was wanting to privatise railway, the airports and other public services. It culminated in six thousand police um, smashing the KCTU building, the Korean Confederation of Trade Union Unions, looking for allegedly for union leaders to arrest them. They didn't find them. They weren't in the building. But clearly 
This was a major attack on the Korean labor movement. It's one of our strongest um, fronts in the region. So I think in the new year, defending the Korean labor movement will be a very, very big priority. One more thing in, well, I want to just go back to West Asia for um, a, a bit excuse me, to talk about um, the Qatar FIFA World Cup in 2020 and the construction of um, the stadiums to support that and the number of migrant workers largely from... um, from Bangladesh, from India, from Pakistan that are dying in the construction of that stadium. That's right. And look, and that's um, actually, I was going to mention that as well, Gisela, about the migrant workers. And, and it relates to what you said, Dana, about the, what's happening around all the free trade agreements. And I think that really shows how the, the governments are trying, well, and the capitalists are basically trying to make sure that the profits keep keep going and really the fact that they internationally really 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 shows that we as workers also then have to fight internationally and link internationally as as listeners would know we've done lots of um, of work and brought you lots of uh, news around linking um, our struggles internationally because the economy is international and, it, and we can't allow the, the capitalists and the government to play us off against each other. And one of the ways that you do, you mentioned about the Chinese workers possibly coming, is the whole issue of how migrant workers, temporary migrant workers are used to to defeat us and undermine our wages and, and condition on how important it is to actually um, struggle together to lift all of us up. And in that context, uh, Australia took about a thousand backward steps on its refugee policy, quite atrocious um, what our refugee policy has come to, or in fact, basically saying, no, no refugees, <laughs> we're not, you can't come here. Uh, yes, we always knew about the closing the borders, but now no resettlement in Australia at all whatsoever. And I think it's it's part and parcel that while um, trade liberalisation goes on, it's actually accompanied by greater um, state uh, repression. And, um, you know, we can see in places like uh, Malaysia where, Giselle, you were talking before about well, we're not quite on air, but about the dissent laws, the anti, the sedition laws, how they are they're used with greater effect to um, to silence us. Yeah. But we've seen in the region um, some workers increased willingness to respond in a militant, organised fashion to state repression. Um, all year in Cambodia, we've seen greater militancy by garment unions in particular. At the very start of 2014 and the end of 2013, five activists activists were, sh- were killed in, in mobilisations and 35 were arrested, but that, that didn't quash the, the workers' movement. Those 35 were um, not fully let off, but they had their sentences suspended in the court, so they weren't imprisoned. And, um, and workers have continued to mobilise for a living wage in Cambodia's garment sector. And um, yeah, that, that's a crucial step towards ending the crippling poverty that Cambodian workers live in. And we know that union organising is the only way to do that. Uh, we could not possibly see this year out with commenting on the number of Aboriginal deaths in custody that have reached um, a higher level of prominence. Obviously, Aboriginal people die in custody. It's a well-known issue. This year, though, uh, there was a National Day of Action for Jalika Jew, a 22-year-old woman 
who died when she was held in police cells overnight for $1,000 worth of unpaid fines. On the day of that National Day of Action, another man in Western Australia died in custody. Absolutely abhorrent situation and one we'll continue to work and organise against. In the closing minutes of the show, Pierre's going to kill me for this, I think we could not possibly uh, again in the year without reflecting on and remembering all of the comrades that we lost, not just the comrades that we know the names of, but the 310 SOMA workers, the nine workers at Westport that were killed this year as well, the countless workers in factories, um, the 53... In the Chinese coal mines. The 6,000 in the Chinese coal mines, the 53 in the Indian construction site that collapsed, all of those workers that died going to work. That's right. But let's also end on a high note, in a good note, because we've actually seen good victories throughout the year and um, we are still here, we are still organising and we can take them on and we can actually win. And um, so while, listeners, we often bring you some terrible news, the reality is that we are out, we are out there we are organising, and um, and uh, we will win. So um, that could be the last few words, unless anyone else wants. But maybe Diana, you better have the last few words. Yeah, oh. yes, she should, Pierre. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I suppose I'll finish my my last program on on Asia Pacific currents, of course, by thanking Australia Asia Worker Links. Um, Australia Asia Worklinks does fantastic work. Like Pierre said, the capitalists are organised globally and we workers need to be too. So, of course, I'll stay involved with AAWL's work. And, of course, thank you to everybody at 3CR Community Radio that keeps this unique grassroots media organisation functioning. And thank you all to the listener supporters who, who've supported the station for almost 40 years now. And it's been an honour to be part of it. And, of course, I'll continue to be part of it in other capacities. What can I say, Diana? You shall be missed, and but and I will try to change your mind over summer. But <laughs> folks, this is it. We've got this last program for this year. We'll be back in February next year. This is all for us. You can uh, still keep in touch by uh, looking at our website www.awl.org.au or our Facebook uh, site. But this is all from me, Pierre Morrow. Uh, I'm Giselle Hanna and Diana Beaumont. Stay tuned for Palestine Remembered coming up next. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.